Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. To my successor, whoever he or she may be. Number one, stay close to the Americans. Stick up for the Ukrainians. Stick up for freedom and democracy everywhere. Politics in general has taken total leave of its senses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. It won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up on today's programme, it's a cruel summer. We talk to Thames Waters' Catherine Ross about the drought that's looming in the UK. And balls in a China shop. How the Conservative Party's stance on China has taken a complete U-turn in the past few years. We'll speak to our Asia government reporter in Hong Kong. But first, a major development in the Tory leadership race. Liz Truss has tweeted about a very important subject, saying that she already has an extremely positive relationship with Larry, the cat, he repeatedly sidles up to me, she said. I think I'm one of his preferred cabinet ministers. One of the reasons I want to be PM is to get to know Larry even better. Is this is this a welcome turn in the debate on this leadership race? I think... Uh, I think perhaps now that the policy platforms have been have been threshed out, or at least certainly on economics and tax, we seem to have gone over and over the same ground repeatedly. Perhaps the debate is turning to sort of likability and, and uh, some of those more intangible things about personality, perhaps. Lizzie Burton's with us in the studio as well, keenly keen to join in on our cat chat. Um, Lizzie, what's your view on all of this? Is this is this now a race about likability? Mm-hmm. I think Liz Truss rather silkily like a cat, switching allegiances from Lib Dem to Tory, from uh, Remainer to Brexiter. She wants you to forget about her U-turns over public sector pay, but actually maybe that makes her a little bit more like a chameleon, uh, that she's always managing to change her... I know, it's a, it's, a, it's a cat. A leopard changing her spots constantly. <laughs> it is a cat. Uh, no, I, for me, I went for lunch with Liz Truss when she was trade secretary and I was covering trade at the Telegraph. And I won't tell you the ins and outs of our conversation, but I will tell you the, the lasting impression of her for me from that lunch was I asked her why she was doing this particular thing, which seemed balmy to most, absolutely angered the Labour Party. Uh, and I said, are you just doing it for the voter? And she said, I do everything for the voter, Lizzie. <laughs> and that's what she's doing here. She's, she knows who she's appealing to. It's the Tory grassroots. They're whose votes she needs. And she'll do anything to be likeable to them. I mean, that likability thing is, is pretty damn important, isn't it? If I was a Tory party member uh, picking the candidate, I wouldn't be too fussed about the detail of their tax pledges. I'd be thinking about, is this person going to sell when it comes to election time in 2024. And I think probably with both the candidates, they they have their weaknesses really when it comes to likability. And of course, they are following a man who, although he's never been universally popular, 
definitely has mm. a lot of likability factor and a lot of star quality uh, and and uh, he's a very tough act to follow yeah i'm not sure i'd like to have a pint with either of them but i will say at tory party conference last autumn there was a huge entourage of tories following liz truss and even when rishi sunak was outside shaking hands he's like a celebrity in the party so the other thing i'd say as well is liz truss does seem to be a really fast learner uh she she manages to improve from debate to debate every single time so maybe they will be able to turn on the charm and not be so wooden by the mm. time it comes to a general election. Well, it's not only in the Conservative Party leadership contest that the temperature is rising. Excuse the metaphor. Today is the start of another heat wave in much of the UK and roasting temperatures are putting renewed strain on the country's creaking infrastructure. Yeah, temperatures expected to reach 37 degrees in some parts of the country. This coming at a time when the first half of the year was the driest in England in 47 years. Lots of warnings about the effect of a potential drought on agriculture, nature and wildlife. Earlier on, Lizzie and I were speaking with Catherine Ross who is the Strategy and Regulatory Affairs Director at Thames Water. They're the largest provider in the UK. They do have a problem with leaks across their network. And that was how we started our conversation about what they're doing to combat the dry spell. We're asking our customers uh, to do more, to use water wisely. We're going to be asking them to, to put away the hose pipes. Uh, we'd like them to do that now, but uh, we're going to be introducing a hose pipe ban in a couple of weeks' time. But obviously, uh, you know, people are absolutely right. We do need to do our bit and we need to get on top of, of leaks. That's why we've got teams dedicated to doing exactly that. Uh, and at the moment, we're fixing more than 1,100 leaks every single week. What is the situation facing your water area heading into this weekend? Yeah, it's not good. Um, we have had a, a remarkably hot, dry summer. We've had rainfall of less than 65% of the average. July in our area was the driest since 1885. And unfortunately for us, that also comes after a dry winter. Um, we also had a dry spring. So we get a lot of our water from rivers. We get a lot of our water from groundwater. Uh, and, and rivers and groundwater just haven't been filled up and replenished with the rainfall we normally expect. So uh, we are running short of, of water. We have enough uh, to supply our customers uh, essential needs. That's that's not a problem, but we are asking people to use water wisely uh, over the coming months so that we make sure that we've got enough for everybody's needs when they really need it uh, for, for, for the uses that they really need it for. And Catherine, we've had a story on Bloomberg this week, a scoop reporting about the potential blackouts when it comes to energy because the situation there could get so desperate. How bad could water get? Could Could we actually see water cutoffs? Well, it depends how long the drought goes on, what we need to do. So at the moment, we're, we're thinking about introducing a hosepipe ban. That's likely to come in in, in the next two weeks. Um, if the drought continues, if we don't get any rain uh, through the winter, we might have to impose further restrictions. Uh, but we are, we're not considering cutting anybody off. I mean, that, that, that would just be unacceptable and that, that, that's not in consideration. Uh, I, I'm curious about how the a hosepipe ban gets enforced and also in the, in the Thames water area, what sort of difference does a hosepipe ban actually make? Yeah, it makes a, makes a big difference, actually. And, and one of the things that we've seen using our metering data is that where we supply people in areas where there's outside space, so gardens, parks, that, that sort of thing, uh, in the hot weather, demand in those areas can increase by up to 50%. Uh, and we think a lot of that is to do with people watering gardens and playing with water in gardens. And if we can just dial that down, we can make a massive difference uh, and conserve water when we really need it. But you said so absolutely no chance of houses having their water cut off, but farms rely on water for crops. Businesses rely on water for everything from cleaning to cooling. Could we see a worst case scenario where industrial water usage needs to be capped? 
that is a possibility at some point. Uh, we don't know when the drought is going to end. We don't know when it's going to start to rain. We're not considering going beyond a hose pipe ban uh, for our residential customers uh, at the moment. But if, for example, we get another dry winter, if we get another dry spring, uh, if those rivers and if that groundwater isn't replenished, then w- with a heavy heart, we might have to think about introducing further restrictions. Well, that was Catherine Roth, Strategy and Regulatory Affairs Director at Thames Water, speaking to Lizzie and Stephen a little bit earlier today. Well, meanwhile, Chancellor Nadim Zahawi and Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng are holding talks with the bosses of the UK's energy firms in Downing Street to discuss soaring energy bills facing households and businesses. There's a question, though, about whether they'll be able to do anything about it until a new Prime Minister is in place. Well, to talk about the situation facing uh, the energy market in the UK, we've got Bloomberg's Climate Change and Renewable Energy reporter, Will Methus, in studio. Um, Will, thanks very much for being with us. You've been reporting this morning about a new warning on just how high energy bills could go in the UK. Yeah, it seems like every week I'm writing about the forecast just going up, and that's a reflection of natural gas prices, which have just you know, soared to unprecedented levels. And that is the biggest part of our energy bills here in the UK. Natural gas sets the price of electricity. And in the winter, once everyone in the country is warming their homes, the vast majority of them are burning gas to do so. So as long as the price of gas keeps going up, and that seems to be the trend, there's really no ceiling to how expensive it's going to get for British households. Yeah, so the next rise is coming in October, and then we're going to get a, a second one in January. Now they changed the, the price cap to, to, to three monthly, and we're going to find out what the October one is uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. In terms of extra help, what, what could the government do uh, to, to, to help households? In short, it would be giving them money. Um, you know, the government earlier this year did just that. They decided to give £400 uh, from October to help uh, households deal with how expensive they thought bills would be. And since then, it's only gotten so much worse that £400 is going to do very little for you know, many households that are really struggling to pay. You know, I I crunched the numbers this morning based on the most recent forecast of how expensive it would be. And just the increase would be, you know, 12% of the median, uh, you know, just like discretionary spending for a British household. So that is a really significant amount of money that households will have to be cutting from elsewhere in their in their budgets and for people who are on the poor end of the spectrum it's going to be much more and they might not have things to cut and if they don't have help they're going to be having to decide whether to turn off the heat or you know not eat you know making those very very difficult decisions yeah, earlier this week, Bloomberg was reporting about the, the government planning for organised blackouts in January and what it was calling a reasonable worst case scenario. How likely is a reasonable worst case scenario? And can we even tell at this point? Well, you know, I would say the past year and a half has shown that uh, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen uh, in energy. And the government has said that they don't expect that reasonable worst case scenario to happen. But, you know, if um, you know, the supply of gas from Russia is completely shut off if there are, um, you know, restrictions on energy. And if the supply is simply much lower than demand, then then very hard decisions will have to be made. And those blackouts are a reflection of that. You know, it basically would be the government and the grid operators saying, you know, we, we can't uh, 
supply power for the demand that's out there. So we're just going to have to force things off the system. Great stuff. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining us. That's Will Mattis, our energy reporter. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline, it's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The rivals to replace Prime Minister Boris Johnson have been trying to outdo each other in who can be toughest on China. The comments so far by Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak appear to draw a line under what's been described as a golden era for Sino-British ties. Joining us now from Hong Kong is Bloomberg's Asia government reporter Rebecca Chung-Wilkins. Rebecca, thanks for being with us on the show. What exactly have Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak been saying about China? 
Well, they both seem to be sort of outmatching one another, trying to take a very hard line with China. Um, Sunak has made some particularly strong comments about the quote-unquote nefarious activities um, that many British politicians have turned a blind eye to, um, even accusing them of stealing their technology, infiltrating universities. Um, and, and Truss herself has also been fairly strong, um, warning about the risks of TikTok. Um, and historically, uh, too, ha has, been, has been much more robust robust uh, in some of her comments on China. More recently as well, of course, coming out to be quite vocal in her support of Taiwan and Pelosi's visit uh, to Taiwan. Both contenders have obviously been in cabinet for some time. What do we know about their, their, their track record of, uh, of dealing with Beijing? Well, there has been some concern that Sunak is taking a bit of a more slightly more hypocritical, perhaps, view of China now with this very, very hard line. Um, he has historically been a bit more friendly to uh, economic relations and financial ties with China. But Truss, you know, her, her, she has sort of made comments in private, labelling the situation in Xinjiang, the crackdown there, as a genocide, uh, and, and making quite tough, tough remarks in the past too, um, particularly... Uh, uh, while she was in the Foreign Office. So how have those comments been received in Beijing? Are they watching this leadership contest closely? Well, I think, quite frankly, at this point in time, Beijing has uh, lots of other things to worry about. Um, of course, Taiwan being one of them, uh, the strategic competition with the US being another. Um, but I do think there you know, is some concern. And, and Beijing itself has acknowledged the deteriorating relationship with the UK. Uh, last year, we saw some comments from uh, China's head of Chamber of Commerce warning that the sort of anti-China feeling in the UK would lead to a cooling effect of economic ties. But I think more broadly, Beijing is also worried about you know, the longer term alignment of UK with Washington, particularly after Russia's war in uh, Ukraine, and the concern of where the UK will shake out in this environment of sort of growing competition with the US. Now, Rebecca, it's a massive change, isn't it, from those days back in 2015 when David Cameron and George Osborne we're promising that Britain would be China's best partner in the West. Remember those uh, uh, pictures of Xi Jinping and David Cameron uh, drinking pints uh, in, in a pub on his visit to the UK. Where, where did those, those pledges get us? Did, did, what, tell us? Talk us back to those, that, that time in, in UK-China relations. Yeah, this sort of so-called uh, golden era of China-UK relations. I mean, it does feel like those times are firmly in the past, mm. particularly when you look at the global concern about TikTok's role, for example, uh, and its data, its data uses, but also thinking about the ban on Huawei. I think that marked a real sort of U-turn uh, for relations, uh, particularly when it comes to sort of global firms and state firms thinking about their ability to do business in the UK. There, there's a, a fairly big, or fairly obvious, I should say, economic upside to having close ties with China being the world's second biggest economy. There's potential there for, for Britain to get a lot out of that relationship. Is there is there the opportunity there, though, given all of the challenges the Chinese economy is facing with you know COVID-related lockdowns and all the rest of it? Is this something that economically the UK could stand to benefit from? 
Well, there is an economically imbalanced relationship, as you say. I mean, China is the UK's third biggest trading partner. I think trade between them was somewhere around 93 billion over the last 12 months. Um, that's continued to jump. Um, so clearly, I mean, there are very obvious sort of financial interests for the UK to sort of keep continued ties with China. Um, but I think... You know, the other point to remember is that the UK does actually hold value itself too to, to Beijing and to China. Um, the UK um, education system and, and university system is very, very popular with China's burgeoning middle class. Um, and, and in fact, being able to establish a business in the UK also holds a lot of value. It allows Chinese firms, particularly these big sort of state firms, to establish their global credibility. Um, and what one analyst I was speaking to was saying that actually, although there is, of course, this push to sort of cut red tape in the Tory party, but it's actually that Britain's sort of re reputation as having a really robust system of regulations that actually makes it attractive for companies from countries like China to come and do business and then sort of prove their value and prove their legitimacy to then expand elsewhere in, into Europe and the West. How did the, the sudden change in, in, in relations come about? Is it part of that, the, the broad thrust of the West to, to turn away from China? Obviously, we've seen that in lots of uh, countries around the world or is there something particular about the UK why did things suddenly sour well, I think there is this global shift uh, and, and rising concern about precisely how China is operating on the world stage and, and the toolkit that it's using to establish itself. Um, and in part, that is because of how Xi Jinping has sort of spent the last few years really clamping down on certain parts of the sector. We know that he's about to enter this national congress later this year, where he's expected to enter a third term. And there is, of course, a consensus about sort of growing authoritarianism um, uh, under Xi Jinping as well. And I think that in, com in combination with Russia's war in Ukraine, there is certainly a heightened sense of vulnerability and a fracturing of the global world order, where suddenly, along with Brexit, I think on the UK side, there is a consciousness on how the UK uh, now standing more independently than it was historically can preserve its financial stability and its own political stability and also try and engineer and safeguard its reputation globally. What's the risk then for whoever wins this leadership contest if relations do get worse with China? Well, it's a very tricky balance. I mean, not least because, of course, in, in the UK, wh whoever whoever wins the leadership race is also dealing with rampant inflation, a cost of living crisis. So China is just going to be one of many uh, difficulties, I'm sure, that they are grappling with. Um, I, I think ultimately it depends, one, on how vocal they are um, and particularly on what issues. We know issues like human rights issues, for example, are much more sensitive. Um, and then I think it also depends depends if they do take uh, specific concrete steps on actually inhibiting the ability of Chinese firms to do business. And if we see a sort of severing of financial ties, I think that could sort of turn the tides. I will say, though, I mean, we, we did speak to quite a number of people for this story and, and some of sources saying that Beijing, while they seem a little bit more concerned with trust, given her, um, if you look at her track record on, on some of her stances and comments on 
China. They, there is a feeling that pragmatism will prevail and that ultimately, even um, if uh, Beijing gives the UK some room to sort of make these hardline comments about China, that they will be able to sort of get the relationship back on track, um, at least privately. Mm, that's interesting. How concerned is Beijing? How bothered is Beijing about the souring of relations with the UK? Obviously, the UK is the fifth or sixth biggest economy in the world. It, it is not an insignificant player. But China has plenty of, of bigger fish to fry, doesn't it? I think that's right. Um, I think when we look at at the other issues that China's facing right now, I think the UK Tory leadership election probably comes relatively low down. They're dealing with this crisis in Taiwan um, and we have seen them really moving to establish a new normal there, particularly in its relationship to the US. They're also trying to juggle a very economically tough situation on the domestic front after very, very severe um, COVID policies that have essentially seen parts of its economy grind to a halt. Um, and you also have a property crisis there too, um, which is also triggering social unrest. So I think across these sort of broad range of issues, Beijing is dealing already with a number of these of these things. But we have also in some way seen uh, Beijing and China sort of become much more insular over this period of the pandemic. Um, Xi Jinping himself hasn't actually made um, uh, any sort of formal overseas uh, public um, meetings with other leaders for quite some time now. So we are watching to see if he will return to the global stage in these potential in-person meetings with Biden, for example. Um, and they have also moved to bolster their own domestic et economy. So you can see Beijing sort of taking these strategic steps to sort of bolster itself up, turning inward slightly and trying to create that buffer um, as well. Okay, Rebecca Chung Wilkins, our Asia government reporter uh, in Hong Kong. Thank you very much for taking us through all of that. Really interesting to get an insight uh, from a little bit further away on the Tory leadership race. Well, really interesting to get that perspective from the other side of the world on the Tory leadership race. I don't think uh, the leadership in Beijing are going to be uh, focused too uh, closely on what's going on between uh, Truss and Sunak. Uh, party members, though, will be attending hustings in Cheltenham today. Then next week, we have a trio in Perth, Belfast and Manchester. So a lot of big issues, macro stories uh, in focus, but also some of the uh, smaller things, some of the likability things uh, also under the microscope scheme, Stephen. Uh, yes, well, I mean, I can't leave this programme without returning briefly to our cat discussion that we started with. Uh, there is a Larry the Cat Twitter account, uh, unofficial, of course, and, and a parody, I think it would be fair to say. And uh, Larry the Cat has tweeted in response to Liz Truss's comments saying that uh, Liz Truss is one of his preferred cabinet members. His response, having a preferred member of this cabinet would be akin to having a preferred bout of athlete's foot. I think it is fair to say that is one very sarcastic fictional cat. Um, but certainly, <laughs> well, I suppose at least at least Larry's not picking sides in the leadership contest. True, I mean, no favourites whatsoever. You wouldn't call that a polite cat tweet, but uh, you know, at least true. <laughs> at least Larry is you know not, not not taking sides. Bloomberg UK politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.